Hello, Covey Clubbers. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and wow, have I got a different perspective for you today on writing. We have Jessica Scott, who is a wonderful writer with a very different perspective. She grew up not knowing what she wanted to do, and she entered the Army and found a whole world there that was amazing and thrilling for her. She deployed to Iraq. She met a husband who was in the Army. She had kids. And then, of course, as she's going through officer training school, she decided she wants to be a romance novelist. So she started reinventing herself very early on. Um, it's a wonderful story about the most unlikely of circumstances and someone persevering through for many different reasons, for personal reasons, um, for, you know, sort of sociological reasons. She wanted to get, she said a lot of the novels that were written at the time um, that involved military figures, A, showed no women, and B, were all about like Navy SEALs and all kinds of this sort of high-ranking stuff and not, not enough about the average person who's in the army. And she's tremendously successful and tremendously funny and lovely. And she's a mom of two kids. Um, and we talk about how the hell do you balance having two parents who are deployed at the same time when you have little kids. So if you think you've got it tough, um, and I did, um, we ain't seen nothing yet. The, this is really tough stuff. And yet, all wonderfully done. And so I'm really excited to bring to you this great interview with the most unlikely reinventor who, for all of you people who are interested in someday publishing a book, um, Jess has a lot of ideas for you. So let's welcome Jessica Scott. So hello, Jessica Scott. How are you today? Hi, Leslie. I'm really great. Thanks for having me here. I am so glad to have you, and it's so wonderful to have you today because we just published your fabulous piece in the Covey. Everybody has to go read it. It is just a wonderful story about writing through the forever war. Everybody will get to know you better, and then this whole podcast will make sense. And I love your story about wanting to present women who were in the military in a way that you had not seen. You'd seen stereotypes only out there and that you decided as a military officer that your, your best use on your downtime was to be a romance novelist. <laughs> so As one does, of course. <laughs> right. I mean, like every, I know everybody does this. But since we have you today, we will talk to you about how you did that. And I think you're just a wonderful example of, you know, somebody who says, I don't know where to start. I don't know if I can do it. I'm a this, I'm a that. Why could I be that? I'm dreaming about being something else. And you are just such a wonderful inspiration. So for those of you who have not read Jess's piece yet, um, I just want to have you give a little bit of your background quickly. Um, where'd you grow up and how did you get into the military in uh, three minutes or less? <laughs> All right. The, the, the abbreviated version. The abbreviated. Um, I am... <laughs> I'm um, I'm originally from from Central Maine, so not the uh, the boat shoes and lobsters part of Maine, but the uh, the bear hunting part of Maine. Ooh, okay. Um, my my mom my my mom's a uh, truck driver, and my dad is a taxidermist, and um, I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. 
And so I figured I would, um, you know, join the army because what else would I do? I didn't have, you know, a lot of money to go to college and try yes. to find myself. So I figured, why not? Um, and in the 90s, you know, 90s army was, you know, be all you can be. And it was join the army and get money for college. So I did. Right. Um, and it was, you know, here's an 18 year old me, never really been, been traveled or anything. And I joined the army. I become a, a telecommunications soldier and they shipped me off to Germany. And, um, it was nerve wracking, you know, being overseas, you know, after right. being from a small town, but, right. um, it was also the first thing in my life I was ever really good at. Um, wow. and I got kind of, kind of hooked on, on this idea of like, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. Right. I was a little bit of a tomboy. Um, so I was, I was definitely one of the guys, you know, as a younger woman and, um, I stuck around, right. So 25 years later, here I am, um, still in, still loving it. And, um, it's been, it's been quite an adventure. <laughs> And you have a family. Can you talk a little bit about how you managed everybody? I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm ashamed to say that, you know, us civilians have problems balancing family and work. And when I listen to, you know, your stories of having, you know, your husband deployed in a place where, you know, he can actually be killed, it's like, it doesn't seem like the same thing. But talk about how you yeah. have kids and how you, you know, balance all of that. Well, um, first, I think balance is a myth. I don't think it exists. Um, right. I think it's it's more of a pendulum, right? Like some days the army wins, some days the family wins. Um, and, and to be honest, I really don't know how I did it. When I look back on it, I was like, that was insane. Um, <laughs> too. Me too. It, it really, yeah. really kind of was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. we... We got, we, we got pregnant on accident. I came back from Korea and, um, you know, the time zone screwed up my birth control because we were never really planning on kids. Oh, um, okay. And so he ended up deploying that first year in 04. Um, I was home pregnant with our oldest um, and um, he came back in 05. We decided to have um, a second one because if we're going to have one, we got to have two. We didn't want to have <laughs> an odd number of kids. So... Um, <laughs> So he, he was gone, you know, by the time he got out of the army in 2012, he had been gone for half the kids' lives. So it was really kind of a, a one woman show in a lot of ways, but I did have help. Right. So, um, we had a daycare. Okay. Well, we, we had a daycare that was really good, but then it kind of started going downhill and I hired one of the women out of there to basically come be my nanny. My kids were a little bit older. I was super freaked out about having my kids with a nanny when they were babies and like they couldn't yeah. tell me if anything was going yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan of like daycare settings and the women in the nursery and the infants room were amazing. Um, but things kind of went a little sideways. So I hired one of the women there um, when um, the girls were a little bit older and um, she was just absolutely awesome. It was amazing to not have to get up at 4.30 in the morning, get the kids out the door by 5.30, had to be on the road to Fort Hood by 5.40, otherwise you weren't gonna get parking for PT. Um, you know, when I look back on it now, I was like, how did I do that? Um, I think we all have that experience. <laughs> I mean, I, that, let me ask you, so the army doesn't help you with childcare? Um, so when you're a dual military couple, you get, um, a housing allowance and typically one housing allowance will go towards the house. And if you have kids, the other housing allowance basically goes to childcare costs because as everybody knows, childcare is crazy expensive, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so there is on post childcare that is subsidized for soldiers. Uh -huh. Um, but where we lived off post, they wouldn't take our kids to the uh -huh. off post school that they were in. So we were kind of stuck. Oh, um, okay. So okay. it was, it, it was interesting, but, um, we, we somehow made it work. So I ended okay. up hiring, um, I did have, um, an in-house babysitter for, um, the last couple of years that we were both at Fort Hood and, 
Um, I, I thank um, Pat as, as I changed command. I was like, you were really kind of my sister wife in this because mm-hmm. she kind of took the kids and ran with it. So I could mm-hmm. lead soldiers for um, about two years and um, I couldn't have done it without her. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always joke that when my husband retired, I didn't get a wife, but for a little while there, I had Kat who was sort of a wife <laughs> in right. a non-sexual way. <laughs> right, right. We always, we always, that, that's a civilian joke too. We used to say like, yeah. what I really need is a wife because the husband's yeah. not doing the things that they should be doing. Now, were you yeah. deployed away as well when your husband was away or were you team tagging back and forth? Um, so the first two years he was gone or first four years, actually, he was gone and then come home and then gone and then came home again. Um, in 2009, we ended up in the same unit on the same deployment cycle because we didn't want to be, um, on again, off again, where he was coming home and then I was going out the door. So we got on the same deployment cycle and we deployed Uh with third brigade, first cavalry division out of Fort Hood. And we were deployed to Mosul, um, together in for 09, um, which your kids. Um, Tori, well, God, the oh nine, so, but they were little, Tori right? was, Both yeah, Tori was gone? almost five. Yep. Tori was Holy almost five God. and Mia was almost three. <gasps> um, yeah. Mia doesn't remember much of it. Tori kind of remembers a little bit of, you know, hints here and there, but not much. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually really good for our marriage, believe it or not. Like no one says like, Hey, I went to Iraq and like got my husband like back, but like uh-huh. it really was good for us to kind of be together that year without the kids because we hadn't oh, had that, right? Oh, wait um, in Iraq being shot at. It's really good. It's good for bonding, right? Actually, it is, um, you know, but... <laughs> oh, my God. What a crazy life you have. Oh, my God. It, it, I look back at it. I still, I don't know how we got through it all. I talked to my counselor about it. She's like, you know, this isn't normal, right? I was like, sure it is. I don't understand the question. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So it was good for your, because you had not been in one place together, right? And we hadn't, and we didn't have any of like being deployed is very simple, right? Like okay. you go to work, you go to chow, you go to, you go to the gym, you go to bed. Right. And it's a very simple thing. There's no laundry. Uh-huh. There's oh. no trash to take oh. out. There's oh. no cleaning to do because everything's oh. covered in dust anyway. So oh. okay. um, it was really simple. Um, uh-huh. And it really was. Um, it was good time for us to just be together again with wow. no kind of outside distractors. I, okay. I, it's weird, but I credit that deployment with kind of keeping us together over the long haul. I uh-huh. think that year was really, really good for us. Okay. So how the heck did you get into writing? Um, so therein lies the hundred dollar question. Um, I, I don't remember exactly what, so I've always kind of doodled, right? I've got, my mom apparently has my old fan fiction notebooks where I was writing like Anne McCaffrey's fan fiction in high school and God, I hope they never surface, but, um, I've always kind of tinkered with stories, but I never was able to really finish one. Um, but when I went to, um, officer candidate school in 2007, right. So I've got two young kids like Mia, my youngest is seven months old Mm -hmm. and like all of my peers are either older like me. So there was a bunch of us that were all um, more senior in the army who all had their wives and families there. So, you know, obviously we're all not going out. And then a lot of my um, younger peers were all going out to the bars at Fort Benning, right? And no good ever comes of going to the bars at Fort Benning, you know, around the Ranger Training Brigade and all of that. So I was like, well, I'm not doing that. And so I got time to read again. And um, I started reading Suze Brockman's um, Troubleshooter series, which I absolutely love, but it was, you know, it was all, it was this Navy SEAL team. And the more I kept reading around the military sort of themed um, romances, I was like, there's none here that are just kind of normal soldiers. Um, and I got an idea in class one day about kind of this second chance of, you know, there, there'd been a huge fight and they had, this couple had broken up and 
I just sort of started writing in class because I'm very much a space cadet. If I'm not taking notes in class, I'm not paying attention. So mm-hmm. clearly I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. But I started writing and I kept writing, right? Like I kept kind of like going, okay, what comes next? What comes next? And um, I actually finished that book, which was the first time I'd ever written anything that long or had ever actually um, finished a story. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And this is going to be great. No one's telling this story. And every writer eventually learns that your first book is absolute garbage and it should never see the light of day. But, um, you know, then I started on the next one and, um, and then I had to learn the writing process. Right. So, um, I got How did on Twitter you do that? in 2009. Uh, okay. Um, so I got on Twitter in 2009 and I started listening to other writers. So, you know, back in the heyday when it was young and, and fresh and not kind of what it is now, you know, there was a, it was a really good place to connect. And so I started following a bunch of writers and um, started kind of reading all the craft books that are out there. Right. But nothing really clicked. I couldn't find my rhythm with the story. Right. Like there's there's beats to a story, there's story structure. And I couldn't make mm-hmm. it work. I couldn't mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so two things really helped me kind of get my process down. Mm-hmm. Um, I could get feedback from folks and then I would get feedback and I would gut the story and start over. And that's never good. If you're going to ever write for contract, you can't like continually gut things and start over from scratch. So I knew something had to change. Two things really helped me. One was, um, I would beta read for, um, a really good friend of mine, Jay Kenner. Um, she let me beta read, um, when I was in Iraq and I had to figure out how to tell her what was wrong with the stories that she was sending me. Right. Cause she wanted critical feedback, not, Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Right. Um, and so learning to give her feedback on the structure, on the character, helped me kind of see that in what I was doing. And I then, um, yeah, it really, it really helped a lot. Take, you didn't take a course anywhere. You didn't do a, no. you didn't, you just sort of followed people and listened and then figured it out. Yeah. I mean, I did okay. sort of the, the normal track stuff of like you enter writing contests to get feedback from other writers and again that wasn't because it was only on a partial right so it doesn't tell you the whole story with the the problem with the story um but the other thing that i really that really kind of like the stars opened and the sky there was doves and singing and like angels was (laughs) um um alexandra sokolov screenwriting tricks for writers where she broke down kind of the scene by scene structure and this is the story structure and here is how this goes and she did it with movies but that book really kind of helped me look at the whole overarching structure of the story, figure out who was on the page, why were they on the page, what uh-huh. was the purpose of this scene. And so that book really, really solidified it for me. And it's um, called Screenwriting for? Screenwriting Tricks for Writers by Alexandra Sokolov. It really, really just blew me away and kind of okay. everything coalesced for me Okay. Um, as far as story structure went. So um, and then, you know, being on Twitter, I saw that, um, Love Swept was coming back and they were looking for, you know, they wanted a contemporary romance with like a military character. And I tweeted at the editor at the time and I said, Hey, I have this story. Do you want to take a look? And she said, yes. Oh my and, God. You did it through um, Twitter. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Don't do that now. Like everybody no. now is like, please don't do that. No. Um, oh, they really? do have, okay. they'll have open calls for stuff. Okay. Um, like a lot of editors and stuff will get on there and say, Hey, I'm looking for this. And if you have that, you can, you can query wow. me, right? Okay. But, um, yeah, so I got really lucky her and, wow. um, you know, the, the editorial director, Gina said, we want you to be the launch. So, um, oh I got to, I got to be the launch for love swept, um, as it was coming back as a digital line, which was really cool. I got to be the pretty pony for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to write book two mm-hmm. and that was traumatic and difficult because by the time your first book goes out, you've had lots of feedback on it and mm-hmm. it's in a lot better shape than kind of like that second book that you've kind of been fiddling around with. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost quit this book too. I, I was almost like completely done because the editor that I was working with was really, really new. And I was a really new writer and we just didn't share mm-hmm. the same vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, clearly the first book was a fluke. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just, mm-hmm. I need to quit because mm-hmm. this is just destroying me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up, um, I hired a friend of mine who was able to, again, kind of help me figure out the problems in the story, help me mm-hmm. see the problems in the story, get the mm-hmm. character arcs right. Um, and so, you know, I'm still writing today because of, because of that friend who like mm-hmm. took a week and we gutted it and we figured it out. So, hmm. um, the biggest thing was finding people that could help me make the pieces fit together. Right. Like I am a huge fan of editors. Like any writer that says mm-hmm. they don't need editors. Oh, I God, know. Luck. Right? But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right. absurd, but Hey, some folks swear by it. And you know what? That's yeah. the process. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate, I hate the idea of publishing without oh an editor God. because, I can't see the flaws in my own work. Right? None of like us I, can. I, I'm better at it now, but like I need someone to help me see the stuff. So me too. Um, me too. Everybody, I think yes, and and that was my that's my frustration with um, novice writers who just want to even write a piece for me. They you know they think yeah. they everything, and it's like oh my god, no one's even going to read your first three paragraphs. The story begins in paragraph four, and they they don't want right? to write. So yeah, it's just you know whatever. It's like not about ego. It's just like no one's going to read your thing. <laughs> like, that's what well, I'm right. I mean, that's, that's huge. Right. I mean, I think, I think it was Stephen King in on writing, which I highly recommend. I think he said good writing is rewriting, right? That first draft gets the words on the page, but then you got to go in and you got to figure out where does the story start? You got to really be willing to kill your darlings. And uh-huh. I think that is, that is the biggest thing that separates like the folks that have been doing this for a while versus the folks that, that are just starting out is you got to learn to edit and revise and be brutal about killing things. Mm-hmm. You may love something, but if it doesn't, if that's not where the conflict starts, that's you right. gotta, you gotta get rid of it. Um, right. And maybe save it for somewhere else. Right. right. Like, um, you so know, talk, let's talk about, I'm going to interrupt you there. So we yeah, yeah. talk about what the hell is an officer in the army doing writing romance novels why are you doing this in your free time and i mean you're being paid well by the army it's not like is this is this a plan for reinvention down the road when you retire is it a release i know we talk about that in your piece but talk about all the Um, ways that it works for you and what it does for you and where it's leading you so everybody in the writing business knows that writers don't get paid jack all. Um, right. I mean, unless you're Nora Roberts or Robin Carr, like if you're the top 1% then you make great money, but everybody right. else is kind of struggling. Right. Um, so realistically, when I started this back in seven and then decided to seek publication in nine, um, I figured it's a 10 year plan, right? Like I'll be out of the army in about 10 years mm-hmm. and I'll have enough of a name built up by then that I'll be able to write full time. That was kind of the, the long-term goal was I'm going to keep doing this while I'm in because I'm building my brand, I'm building my name and, you know, I'll be able to do this, you know, full time when I get out. Well, I'm not out of the army yet. And so that long-term goal continues to push, but it mm-hmm. takes time to build your brand. It takes time to build a readership. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was part of it is, is it was a long-term thing. The other thing for me, though, was really is, is every narrative about women in the military is, mm-hmm. and, and even men in the military, mm-hmm. is so 
negative these days. Mm. Um, and I really started to notice this as, as Iraq was winding down, like everything is about PTSD for, for, for men and everything about women is about sexual assault in the military, which is a huge problem. And I'm not downplaying that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I really wanted to tell other stories, right? I wanted to tell the stories of how the army was fun for me, right? Like it is a fun job. You get to do craziness um, and you, you laugh a lot at horrific stuff. And I wanted to really put real soldiers on the page so that like, our stories could be out there at least in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to, to, to make, you know, I, I wanted to tell our stories to civilians that wouldn't necessarily pick up, you know, Martha Raddatz's long road home, fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to kind of help people learn a little bit about what was going on in everyday lives. Um, for folks that wouldn't necessarily follow stuff about the war. Um, that was kind of the long-term, the, the, the kind of the goal of what I was writing um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of why I still write in a lot of ways is to kind of humanize us and get us off of our, kind of thank you for your service pedestal mm-hmm. um we we need to be less worshipped and more people that people can relate to i think mm-hmm. and talk about why you write under a pen name too because i think people are going to wonder like if that's what you're trying to do why do you write under a pen name um well the pen name is really kind of so there's some distance right like at mm-hmm. the end of the day i am still a woman in the military the military does tend to be a little bit more conservative mm-hmm. and you know it only takes one boss going this is incredibly unprofessional for for someone to be doing how dare you talk about sex and mm-hmm. you know god forbid healthy sexual relationships and all of that mm-hmm. so i wanted some distance there mm-hmm. um between the two and especially you know where i teach i really don't want my students going and looking this stuff up so i mean they can they <laughs> A few have stumbled across me now and again, but it's not something that I talk about in class. And it's not something that, that, that I, you know, I want them looking up because I don't want them going, he, 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 this, did you see this one she wrote? Um, Because, you know, they're still kids. So I wanted a little bit of distance there, a little bit of space. Um, (laughs) It's merging a little bit more as I get, you know, as I get a little bit older and I get a little bit more um, closer to retirement, I am starting to merge a little bit more where I'll publish things under my, um, my academic name to my Twitter feed so that people can read it and and vice versa. But um, but for the most part, I still want a little bit of separation there, just a little bit of gap um, and from a protection purpose, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's crazy people out there. I've had yeah. friends get letters from folks in jail and it's really yes. easy to dox someone. Um, oh. And I'm, I'm paranoid about my kids. So Good point. Um, Good point. Yeah. Talk a little bit, too, in how you did in your piece um, where you were talking about what it did for you emotionally, allowing you to work things out. I thought that yeah, was um, both from a, from a fear point of view and also from a women's issues point of view. And, a, and a, I thought, I loved when you said in the piece that you just were always one of the guys and never thought that there was another way to look at yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really credit being a part of the romance writing world with kind of helping me figure out that I'm actually a woman. Um, <laughs> like I knew I, I knew that I was a woman going through childbirth. Like I get that, but like to actually <laughs> that like kind of made it clear. <laughs> it made it abundantly clear. Um, but like I had never really had this identity as a, as a woman, right? Like I was always a soldier who happened to be female in my mind. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but um, but I didn't know. I didn't have a lot of woman friends for for a lot of years. I made my first kind of adult female friend. Um, when I was pregnant with my oldest, um, and she is still a wonderful friend to this day. She's been a huge mentor and advocate and like one of my closest friends. Um, but she was really kind of my first girlfriend. Right. Um, and so I didn't know how to do this. Um, and I really credit the romance writing world with, with kind of 
helping me be comfortable in my own skin. Like I bought dresses for the first time once I was, you know, going to a romance writers conference. I was like, I'm going to dress like a girl. What uh-huh. the hell does that mean? Uh-huh. Um, and, <laughs> um, you know, it, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm still kind of at the heart of it, a jeans and t-shirts gal, but, um, you know, every so often it's nice to get dressed up and I know how to do right. that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and listening to women's conversations, right? Like mm-hmm. Twitter mm-hmm. has been so hugely informative for me to be able to listen to mm-hmm. conversations that go on in women's spaces in a mm-hmm. way that I, I really haven't been able to over the course of my career, because there's not a lot of women's spaces in the military. Right. Um, and so for me, writing really, um, it helped me write about female friendships that I hadn't quite experienced um, in, in a way that I didn't see, like I wanted that snarky female friendship and kind of that, 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 that we're going to be there no matter what. Right. Like I didn't want kind of the mean girls stuff that dear God, I'm dealing with right now with my 14 year old and uh, oh, tell me yeah. it gets better sometime. It um, does. It's <laughs> awful. It's awful. Girls are mean. And I don't know why, Yeah, but they are, they're horrible. They really, it's, it's a whole new game. She was asking yeah. me for help the other night. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this, honey. I didn't hang out with the girls until like my senior year of high school. Um, uh, but yeah. anyway, but it, the writing helped me kind of think about what was, right? I have a lot of male-female friendships on the page, right? Like actual just male-female friendships yes. um, because that's my life. And um, it, it helped me kind of process things and learn about things and write about stuff that, that I was experiencing kind of in my own life and, and get it out and offload it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about in the army, we talk about kind of stuffing things down. Like bad stuff happens and you kind of got to stuff it down and you got to go back to work, mm-hmm. right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's a realistic coping mechanism. But at the mm-hmm. same time, like someday you got to let it out. And I've really found that over the years, kind of getting things out on the page and fictionalizing it, obviously, to protect the guilty. Um, but it, mm-hmm. it really helped me process a lot of the things that, that I've, I've, I've had going on in, in my life um, with my kids, with, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, one of my books was, was kind of prompted by this idea of like, what does it mean for your kid to have to put her shoes on her father, right? Like, because there was a couple of years there where my husband's back was out and he really couldn't move. Um, not really well without a lot of pain. And my kids kind of had to step up when I was at school. So it's like, what does that do? Right. What does that, so I kind of projected, you know, 10 years into the future and I kind of, that was the easiest and the most Mm -hmm. like realistic book I ever wrote, but Mm -hmm. it's a pro it's a way for me to offload things. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a one way conversation, obviously. Um, but it's a way for me to take the stuff and, and get it out of my rucksack and, and process it and find meaning in it. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times, you, you know, we don't have meaning for the things that we go through. So the writing helps me make sense of it mm-hmm. um, in a way, because unlike real life, fiction has to mm-hmm. make sense. Mm-hmm. So what were your barriers to the reinvention process? And did you know it was a reinvention when you were starting it? Or was it more just an outlet that then became a reinvention? And how do you I, see yourself in the future? Because you're teaching now, but will you yeah. wind down? Will you wind that down and just be a writer? And and talk about it. you've published what six? How many novels you've published? Um, I'm, I think I'm close to twenty now. Twenty. Okay, there was a yeah. group of six in the beginning, I guess that you yeah. mentioned. And yeah, okay. there was yeah. Um, so I, it turns out I love teaching, right? Like, you know, right. I, you know, back at back way back when I joined the army, cause I didn't want to do know what I wanted to do when I grew up, but I really love teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started writing, I didn't 
know that I was teaching people. Um, I can't tell you the number of folks that have, have emailed me and said, wow, like your books just gutted me and I learned so much from this, right? So um, I didn't know it was a reinvention at the time. I knew um, it was going to be different than what I was doing in the Army, um, but I didn't realize how different it was going to be, but also how much it was going to impact my effectiveness in the Army in a lot of ways, right? Like, um I think women can be very toxic to each other when it comes to issues like harassment and assault in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think being in this space Mm -hmm. really opened my eyes up to the reality of what women deal with and helped make me a much more effective ally and advocate than I would have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's radically altered my views on a lot of things Mm -hmm. um, in a good way. And I'm very, I'm very happy with that. I'm very happy with the writers that challenged me, my views. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm and made me really reassess kind of who I was and, and how I was going to be. So I wasn't an advocate um, for women at all as a younger woman. Um, I was just kind of here and I'm going to do my thing and you do your thing and go mm-hmm. with God. But now mm-hmm. I think I'm a much stronger advocate. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's helped me find my voice. Um, mm-hmm. And I love being older because I really don't care what people think anymore. Like that is yeah, a man, total yeah. benefit yeah. of being over 40. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. So what were, I mean, but, but as you were thinking of being a writer, were there a lot of people out there saying, you can't be a writer, you're in the army or did, I mean, or did you just not even tell people and you just went ahead and did it? I didn't it? tell people. You just did. I, I didn't tell people for a long time. No, okay. the, um, I, I, I sort of, I, I told my battalion commander um, that, hey, this is me because there's, you know, that rule of don't ever surprise the boss. Um, oh, okay. and you, you know, you don't ever want to, you know, you don't ever want your boss to stumble across your Twitter feed and go, Hey, what the hell? Yeah. Um, so I told my boss and I told my XO and that was kind of it. I didn't tell anybody at work. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't remember exactly when I told my husband what I was doing and that I was going to uh-huh. do this. Uh-huh. Um, I think it involved at some point like, Hey, let's go to Disney world. Cause this is the first romance writers conference that I can go to. And, uh-huh. and I remember when we were driving away, cause it was not fun for him at all. Um, he was like, <laughs> do you think you're going to sell him? It wasn't. Him going to no. a romance novelist. You know? So we did kind of we did the parent thing in the morning. We took the kids out to Disney, Where? and then in the afternoons I went and did conference stuff. Uh-huh. And so he got stuck in the hotel room with two, okay. you know, real little kids. But okay. as we were driving away, I remember him asking me, "He's like, do you think you're going to sell a book out of this?" And I said, "I know I will." Uh-huh. Um, and so I didn't tell a lot of folks because I was ashamed of what if I failed. Um, so I really hid it mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like Twitter was the only place that I was really out and open and talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, once I sold, I told my boss, and so she told, you know, her boss. But again, I didn't, it's not something I talked about at work. So I kept it kind of quiet at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of, you know, I still don't tell a lot of people. Like I tell the boss again, just so that they don't get blindsided. But mm-hmm. it's not something that I bring into my everyday life at, at work um, mm-hmm. in an open way. All, again, all the skills and stuff that I've learned right. um, have impacted me at work. But um, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. Um, as we're moving towards close here, um, let me ask you just any, you gave us some good books to read. Um, any other sort of practical tips and tricks for women who are listening, who um, they may be doctors, lawyers, teachers, and they're thinking, God, I'd really like to start writing. Um, yeah. And I know a lot of them want to, and they, they're looking for agents, they're looking for this, they're looking for that. What are your most practical tips and also noticing that Twitter's not what it was when you were able to tweet somebody? Yeah. If you were starting out now, what would you tell your best friend? 
I would say the, the biggest thing to focus on is the story, right? And finding your voice, right? One of the things that people tell me when they read my books that know me is like, it's so weird reading these because I can hear you talking in my head. That's perfect. Um, yes. So find, find your voice. And voice is not something that, that can be taught, right? It's only That's something right. that you can communicate on the That's page, right. right? That's right. So that is the key piece is, is find your voice. But then Robin Carr gave me the best piece of advice um, ever. Well, she gave me two really great pieces of advice. One was um, write the story that only you can tell, right? Oh, yeah. So, like, very few folks can can kind of get into all of the different identities that I've occupied and write that story, right? So, but when I write a story, that's the angle that I'm coming at, right? Like, yeah, someone else can potentially do it, but I know I can really do this story. So, what is the story that only you can tell, right? Right. and and then the the, the the simplest thing is is focus on on making being willing to revise right like learn right. how to revise right um get into a writer's group and start critiquing other people's stuff and learning how to critique because it will help you see the problems in your own work okay um and just because something is interesting to you doesn't necessarily mean it's right. a good story right, right. right. what's right. the conflict right, right. 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 so right. Um, you got to kind of focus on, yes, you can tell a, a, a story, but if there's not a, a good conflict there, it may not right. be marketable. Right. right. So you got to right. kind of always right. pay attention to the market. Right. And the last thing is audience. So the biggest thing is who are you writing for? Right. If you're just right. writing for yourself, that's one thing and that's fine. And that's good. Right. Like right. I, I wrote, um, I blogged through Iraq and I, I turned those into books just because I wanted my kids to someday be able to go back and read them. Wow. Um, but there's also not a lot of female voices from the time in Iraq. Right. So right. those books are out there for people to check out. Right. Right. Um, but who's your audience and who you're writing for? Um, right. And again, if you're, if you're writing for publication, that is a question that you kind of have to a- answer. Um, okay. But find your voice, right? Like find the way that you can tell a story that only you can um, and, and find your story, right? What is the only story? What is the story that only you can tell? um that that brings a fresh angle to something so you want it to be something that that that's that's unique that's that's your voice it's your story um that's not out there do you think people can self-publish today if you can't tweet at somebody what can you do to get on their radar and i know so many people call me and they're like i do i need an agent how can i find an agent i'm like i can't find an agent agents are are impossible to find and i don't know what work they do anyway so that's a, a whole nother conversation about oh. agents. Um, <laughs> okay. um, they, they absolutely serve a purpose um, as far as like getting you into editors. But okay. um, yeah, you, you can absolutely self-publish. So I started self-publishing after um, my, I, I published with Love Swept and then I published with Grand Central and I'm incredibly grateful for those opportunities. But as, as romance started to become a non-print, it started to become more digital, uh-huh. um, I, I went into digital publishing, so I did my own work. Um, oh. And yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into that, right? So you've got okay. to, you're responsible for everything, right? Where your right. editor would be responsible for formatting and, and print and cover design and all of that. That's all on you now. Um, right. And the craft, the story is still on you, right? There's right. a lot of, of, of self-published work out there that needs a lot more editorial work. It yes. needs a lot more time to develop. Yes. Um, but there's also a lot of really great work out there. Um, some of the biggest authors in the genre right now um, got dropped by their publishers and started doing their own self-publishing. So, you know, Bella Andre, Barbara Freethy, um, they have reinvented themselves as these like top 1% authors now because of self-publishing. So um, it's absolutely a thing. I'm a big fan of it, but it's a lot of work. Um, I love the control though. I love having the, the editorial control and, and the, the, the distribution and all of that. So um, it's definitely an avenue. 
Um, but I would say for new authors, make sure you've got your craft down first. That is the number one thing because you don't get multiple chances to, to reestablish yourself as an author unless you change names. Okay. And then lastly, what is the name of your series so people can go find it? So the, um, the, there's a couple of series, but the one that, that, I, that I started out with is um, the Coming Home series. So you can okay. go to my website um, and you can find all of the series links together. That one is set at Fort Hood. It's set it with all of these characters that are wrestling with going back to war during the surge in Iraq. Um, and I, I absolutely love that series. That's and the what's ser- your series like. Specific website, Jess, so they can find it. Yeah, it's jessicascott.net. Oh, dot net. Okay. All yes. right. I keep waiting for the dot com to become available, but it's not. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. That's all right. We'll take a net. And then what are you currently writing under? What is the. Um, so I'm currently working. Um, everything's on the site. Um, okay. The work in progress is, is more of a women's fiction story about um, a professor at a military academy somewhere further down the Hudson that's not where I'm currently teaching and um, kind of all of the things that are that are going on in her life and how she's kind of dealing with teenagers. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, that would strike. That would be good for a lot of us. Yes, I know yes. what that's like. Yes. <laughs> wonderful. Well, Jess, this is so wonderful. I find you so amazing and I think you're so inspirational and I love your attitude and you're just, you have just such a different perspective on everything and it's so wonderful for you to share it with us. And thank you so much for, at, for the piece that you gave us, which is in the Covey for the August issue. You can all see it there. And, um, I hope that everybody will go back and forth between these two pieces and go to jessicascott.net and find all that great stuff that you've actually written. Thank you again so much for having me. This is really great. And it, I really, this is an awesome opportunity. Thanks for having me. Great. So thank you, everybody, for coming to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jessica Scott. I find her fascinating. And I hope that you'll read the piece in The Covey, which is all about writing through the forever war and how she ended up doing this and why. And it gives a little more detail and other kinds of details to it. I hope you'll pick up some of the books that she recommends and follow some of the tips and tricks And if you like this interview, I hope that you will subscribe to Reinvent Yourself. And I hope you will pass Reinvent Yourself along to other people um, because that's how we get noticed. And if you'll give us some stars, I know it's a pain in the neck to rate us, but that would be great. Um, That's the only way we get surfaced so anybody can find out we're here and find out um, that people like what we're doing. We are the only broadcast talking about women 40 plus reinventing themselves and how to do it. Everybody else wants to talk to 20 year olds. We love our 20 year olds, but we don't need to talk to them. So thank you very much. Subscribe. And I hope you'll also come over to the Covey Club and subscribe there as well. We now have Covey Connect, which is a wonderful addition to everything we do, where you can find friends near you and you can find Uh, talk with women in the club and ask for help and you want to be a writer ask for help anyway come to coveyclub.com and we will welcome you in there as well so hope to see you next time thanks so much